Well, um, I didn't introduce myself earlier. Uh, my name's Jesse, by the way. Uh, and I'm going to be beginning, we're going to be beginning a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, and so if you would like to turn to John in your Bible, I always encourage people to make sure I'm not making up these words. Because honestly, when you read these words for what they are, they're too good to be true. And yet we say that they are true. And so uh, just, to, just like you have the same foundation that I have, you open up the book of John and you follow along. Um, what we're going to do with the Gospel of John and how we're going to handle the series is a little bit different than I've done any series before. Um, in that I'm planning to have breaks along the way. And so um, we're going to spend about six weeks in John. We'll cover the first two chapters in those six weeks, and then we're going to take a break. That'll be the end of you know season one of John, if you will. And then we'll, we have some other things that we're planning to do. We'll do that for a few weeks, and then we'll come back to John for season two, and then we'll do that for a few weeks, and then we'll take a break. So understand this. Uh, you'll see me in John for a while, and then away, and then back. That's not, that's not accidental. It's not like, man, Justin must have got bored with John around chapter three. No. No, it's, it's, we see a conversation happening that, that is, as John kind of is unpacking this, we want to pause on some heavy notes and just let them breathe for a while, okay? And so that's, that's kind of our goal as we move forward. Um, we're just quickly, as way of introduction for John, um, just to have it on there in case you want to go back and listen, like who wrote the book of John? Anybody want to take a guess? John, that's an excellent guess. It's not always the safest bet to just say the name at the top, but you're like, oh, Philemon wrote, no, no. Uh, John wrote the book of John. That's, that's kind of our, our working uh, process, just in way of, uh, just for educational purposes. The author of John never actually discloses his name in the book of John. So there is some question along the way. It's like, who, who wrote John? But history says that it was John, the disciple of Jesus, one of the 12, one of the, the best friends of, of uh Jesus. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, anytime you get to a list of the disciples, he'll name pretty much all of the disciples. You have you have Judas, of course, and you have Simon Peter, and then you have, you know, Matthew maybe mentioned. And then when you get in the list where it should say the name John, instead of saying this the name John, it's always referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the one whom Jesus loved. And so that's either like a hey, I'm mom's favorite kind of a phrase, like, yeah, I'm Jesus' favorite disciple, or uh, most people think it's more like a I, I don't feel I don't feel like I need any spotlight on me, and so I'm just going to remove my name from this book as I write that. But if you go all the way back to the second century, you have you have people who studied under John, claiming that John wrote the, the Gospel of John, and so history has a long history of just saying it is that man. So if you ever hear someone's like, we don't even know who wrote John, yeah, but you know, there's a long history of who who wrote it, and then we get to why. Why did John write? The Gospel of John, and this is this is key for our work today and our work for the rest of the series because we want to we want is this meant to be just a history lesson that we learn about this great teacher who lived two thousand years ago? Is this the letters and memoirs of a person who followed Jesus about? Let me tell you about my best friend Jesus, or is he up to something else? Does he want to accomplish something else? Uh, I have a list of all the guesses that I made, but I'm, for the sake of time, uh, I'm just going to go to what John says his purpose is. He actually writes in the Gospel of John. This is the point. He doesn't claim to be the author at any point, but he says, this is the reason why I wrote this gospel. And so it's at the very end of the gospel, but what I want to bring it up right now is in chapter 20, verses 30 30 and 31. It says this, 
Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John, he begins by saying, you may hear some things about Jesus did that I didn't mention. It's not because I didn't forget them. It's because I ran out of space. Like I can only say so much kind of a moment. But he says, these, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, comma, he is the Son of God, comma, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Here's what John came to believe about Jesus, his best friend, his rabbi. He came to believe that following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, gave him life, gave every corner of his life purpose and meaning, and, and it, was, it was the source of life for him to know who Jesus is. And he writes this book not to convince you that Jesus was real. He's not interested in that. Not to convince you that Jesus is his best friend and he knew him better than he, he does. He's not trying to brag. He writes this so that what? So that may, by believing you may have life in his name. Here's the question that we have to answer by the time we finish John, if, if you haven't answered this yet. He is claiming that to know who Jesus is, is the firmest, surest source of life you will ever know. And you have to decide if he knew what he was talking about, if what he was saying is true. I am of the impression and I am persuaded that what he is saying is true. I've talked to so many other Christians who have been persuaded that what he is saying is true. And those people that follow that and who believe that, they seem to have more life than the average bear. But if you are just kind of guessing, you're just trying to put your toe in the Jesus water, like, eh, is there life? Is there not? We're not trying to make the case that Jesus was the best teacher that ever lived. I think that that's true. We're trying to make the case that in him and knowing him is the source of real life. So if, if you'll allow me. Uh, let's, let's begin our work in John, all the, all the way back at the beginning. John, John chapter 1, if you will. John, John has a little bit of a flair for the, for, the, for the big, for the grandiose. He has a little bit of poetry in here because the other gospels, they're like, let me tell you the, uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And you got like 42 names of all the granddaddies of Jesus. And everybody's like, yes. And their brains grow bigger and bigger. Uh, Mark, he's like, I don't have any time for that. It's like, it's like the uh, 80s montage film. Mark is like action, action, story, story, story. That's, that's how Mark tells his story. But when John says he starts in the most epic grand scale ever. He starts in the same place that Genesis starts of in the beginning. Like if I had a James Earl Jones voice right now, it would be so beautiful. In the beginning is where John is going to begin. In the very beginning, verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Uh, excuse me. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you, you don't have to be like a poetry nerd to read that and be like, that, that's beautiful, whether it's true or not. Like, if you, if you read like the opening lines of, Lords of Lord of the Rings, you're like, that would be a beautiful opening line of Lord of the Rings fiction, right? But, but he's making this claim that this is the real Jesus, and this is who he is. He calls him the Word. Now, that is confusing to modern ears, right? Can, can, just show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Just, I'll be honest with you. When I read that, sometimes I'm like, what does he mean by calling Jesus the word? Like that, that is a little bit confusing. But we, we have the benefit of living in the future. We can look back in the past and see how they would have understood it. When John wrote this, this is probably just, just a place, the gospel of John. This is a good, we're pushing probably 35 years after the cross. Like the church has been forming for the last 30, 35 years 
at this point. So when John writes this, imagine being in the church that gets this for the first time. You already believe that Jesus is the Lord, but you get an eyewitness account from the beloved disciple John. It's like, let's read the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word. And in that room, if you were in that room, there should be probably two groups of people And both of them, and I believe that John did this deliberately, both of them would have heard these opening lines of the gospel and they would have like attached a ton of meaning to it and 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 they would have gone in different directions. And I think that John did it intentionally. So since we're in the future, maybe we can look at both viewpoints and then layer them on top of each other and be better as a result of it, okay? So let's let's talk. So in the room would have been Jewish people, Hebrew people. These are people who grew up with the Torah. They would have gone to Torah school. They would have grown up with uh, what we call the Old Testament. Testament, they would have grown up knowing who Yahweh is. And so when, when John says the phrase, in the beginning, what do you think of when you hear in the beginning? Genesis 1, absolutely. And so they would have heard those opening lines. And it's not just like knowledge that's hitting them. It's kind of like the lyrics to your favorite song. You know, like, you know, if someone starts singing your favorite song and then they change one word halfway through, it's like a, like a little explosion in your brain. You, you weren't expecting that, right? Like, old MacDonald had a DeLorean. And you're like, what? You know, like, where did that come from? And it's just like, it's completely in a different direction. So John is like in the beginning. Yeah, I know where he's about to say, was the word. What? Because how does Genesis begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they would have heard that as like John inserting into the common song, the thing that they would have been being taught since childhood. It's like he's, he's, he's going in a different direction. When, when God created in Genesis 1, uh, it's very clear that he didn't break a sweat in any of those days until he gets to mankind, right? Mankind, you and I, his favorite piece of creation, uh, it says that, that God formed us out of the dust. And the word formed is like he gets a little bucket of dirt and he gets after it. You know, he, he, makes, he makes a human form and then he breathes life into its nostrils. But whenever he decides he wants light, you know what God does? He essentially just clap on. You know, he's like, let there be light. It just happens. Out of the words of God's mouth, out of what he spoke, power happened. And so these Hebrew minds, they're like, hold on just a second. Are you you talking about the words that came out of God's mouth? Are you talking about the the revealed nature of, of God? In, a, in a Torah school, if you were a child, it's, it's a day one of Torah school, and you, you have your little Old Testament Bible, only Testament Bible, and, and you go to school, uh, and, and they're going to teach you your very first Torah lesson. So you're under your very first rabbi. They would begin, and they would say, I want you to recite to me what your parents have taught you about the opening book of Genesis, what they would say in the beginning. And so you would begin, because you've memorized like maybe the whole first chapter at this point. And you would say, in the beginning was God. And the rabbi would say, stop. Repeat that. In the beginning was, was God, and he... Nope, stop. Repeat it. Stop on God again. In the beginning was God. And then the rabbi would let it sit for a while. He says, your first lesson is to know this. In the beginning was God. Closes up shop. That's the end of your first lesson. You just walk away, and like your little five-year-old brain just exploded. You're like, in the beginning was God. And you're just supposed to ponder that for a while. And so what John is doing is like he's grabbing like the the Hebrew way of thinking and Torah and Torah school, and he's kind of twisting it to say, let's talk about what Jesus was doing in that moment. In the beginning was the word. And then then the word is is so important to the Hebrew mind because you get all these passages like Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet. I've hid your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. They would have heard this phrase word as that's important. This is from God. I need to know about this. And so the Hebrew mind, 
mind went there with the word. You, you tracking with me so far? Okay, but there's another, there's another group of people. You have the Greek-minded people. The Greek-minded people, they didn't grow up understanding who Yahweh was. They grew up with philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, the, the Stoics. And when they hear the word word in Greek, it's the word logos. You may have heard that. And the philosophers love talking about the logos. They would just sit just for sport. This is what they did for fun. They would wake up in the morning like, hey, you guys want to go play checkers? No, I want to argue about the logos. And they would just get out in the market and they would say, I have this thought about the logos, I have this thought. Because for them, the word, the logos, is is reason personified. It is almost a God to them. Because the philosophers believed that if you could figure out the meaning of all things, if you could figure out what everything means and just find its foundation, you could build something that will last and stand the test of time. And so the Stoics, the philosophers, would say to know the word, to know the logos, is to know the beginning of all true knowledge and all true hope. There was a Jewish uh, philosopher. He was a Stoic. His name was Philo. He lived in Alexandria. At the same time John was writing this, he was writing about the Logos, reason, capital R, the meaning of all things. Okay, so uh, if we can take our nerd glasses off, let's just, okay, the Hebrew mind thought that, the Greek mind thought this. What what do we think here? Um, our modern minds, how do we internalize this word. Uh, I don't, any, anybody in here good at reading people's emotions? I, I feel, I feel like I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I tend to be able to walk into a room, uh, and just kind of get a feel like a happy, 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 sad. You know, it's like duck, duck, goose, but for emotional, like, uh, crybabies. And I'm like, okay, so I, I immediately know who's sad or I immediately know who's angry, but I, I don't always know why. And so I find myself, I'm, I often have to ask the question, like, hey, I think, I'm reading a little anger. I think I'm reading a little uh, stress. What, what's going on? How, how can I help? Uh, Wednesday night, uh, we're, we're finishing up Converge. We're finishing up the youth group in here. I come in and I see Matt, our student pastor. He, he's walking uh, around. Uh, and, and that day, earlier that day, I, I, saw, like, I noticed he was stressed. I noticed he was, it was something. I don't know if it was anger or fear. I couldn't, I couldn't read it, but I noticed it. And then when I got back after Converge, I said, Matt, I said, uh, I, I think I noticed stress on you. Uh, is there anything going on? Can I I'm thinking maybe it's family. He's like, well, thanks for asking. It's just, it was like it was the first Wednesday back, and I just I was a little stressed about that, but but thanks for, for asking. I knew his emotion, but I needed his words to come out of his mouth for me to know what the emotion was for, the meaning, the reason behind the emotion. Does that make sense? And so when John begins by saying that Jesus is the word of God, he was with God and he was God, he's saying in part that Jesus is the revealed inner mind the, the, of God. To know his emotional landscape, what he feels about you, is to, to know Jesus is to know the inner mind of, of God. We see that Jesus is the foundational truth. And if, if what John is saying is right, listen to this. This is not inconsequential. If what John is saying about Jesus is right, to know this and to make Jesus your foundation makes you a better everything. It makes you a better human makes you a better spouse, makes you a better friend. It would make you a better lover. It'll make you a better employee. It'll make you a better supervisor. It would make you a better defender and an advocate because you have a reason that's rooted in truth for defending and advocating. It would make you a better parent and caring for your kids because you see internal significance in what you do. So make no mistake, John has no room for this belief that Jesus is just like, he's a really big deal. No, no, he's the biggest deal. No, Jesus is a really good teacher. That's true, but you got to listen to what he's saying. 
If what Jesus is saying is true, and what is said about Jesus is true, to know that makes you better at everything. John wants you and I to believe, and we need to decide if this is true or not. John wants you and I to believe that Jesus is the main point of all of it, of everything. And around here, we talk about Jesus being the main point. The question is, is he the main point of your life? Is this something that you've come to grips with, or are you still trying to figure it out? Let's, let's see kind of where John goes as we continue in the Gospel of John in verse 6, please. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This, by the way, will end up being a different John. This is John the Baptist. We'll talk about him next week. He came as a witness to, to uh, excuse me, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. We'll, we'll talk more about John the Baptist next week, but what's interesting about him is that John the Baptist, at the time of this writing, he was a big deal, right? Everybody kind of knew who John the Baptist was. He was a famous person, and he's saying about John the Baptist that he came not to take any of the spotlight away from Jesus. He came to point the spotlight on Jesus. And so some of John the Baptist's disciples would be like, no, John the Baptist is a big deal. And John the Baptist is like, no, I, I actually have no need for the spotlight. My only job, because I found out that Jesus is the word and he is the foundation, my only job is to point the spotlight back onto him. But we'll get back into that next week. Verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What John is beginning uh, to unpack is this truth, is that Jesus, at least Messiah, if, if you're not comfortable with calling Jesus the promised one of God yet, let's, let's just say Messiah, the, the, the office of the Christ, has been being promised since Adam and Eve, has been being promised since Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. All throughout the Old Testament, God has been promising a better Moses, a better Adam, a better Ezekiel. He's been promising that one is coming that is going to correct all of this. And, and the people who should have known who he was... John is saying they had all the messages and all the promises, but when Jesus was there face to face, they didn't realize what they were looking at and they rejected him. But those who did receive him, he'll say, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you ever heard the old uh, Billy Graham, Graham phrase, uh, born again, you know, he, he was big. That was, that was his phrase. He took that out of John. John right here in chapter one, again in John three, that, that God came so that uh, to follow Jesus is to be born again into a new creation. And, and John's very clear that this isn't something that your grandparents figured out and passed on to you. We don't inherit the salvation. We don't inherit being followers of Jesus. Um, this, is, this is something that God accomplishes in us for those of us who believe in the name of Jesus, who receive him and, and believe him. And so what happens, verse 14, in this epic understanding of Jesus? This word, it says, the word that was in the beginning with God and was God, this word became flesh. No other religion in the world has this belief of a God who is willing to step down into his own creation and 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 lower himself to that position and become flesh. 
Philippians 2, maybe put that in your notes, uh, go read that. It, it outlines all of the steps that the creator of the universe, God, Jesus, was willing to go in becoming flesh, that he humbled himself to a servant. He humbled himself to the cross. He humbled himself and became flesh so that he can what? And dwelt among us. He came, this man is that, that we're claiming to be God in the flesh, he came and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in Greek uh, is the same word as, as tabernacle. And so what he's saying is like, Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us. The Greek minds in the room at the, the first reading, this would be like, I don't know what tabernacle means, but that sounds like, that's a pretty word, okay? We named our, our uh, the youth ministry named the snack shack, like the tabernacle. And so it's a cool sounding word. Uh, but the Hebrew mind all of a sudden just flashed forward to Exodus. When, when, when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, they remember when Moses told them to build the tabernacle and that by building the tabernacle, the God of the universe will come and he will dwell amongst your midst. But he was always a, a pillar of fire. He was always a pillar of smoke. Everything about him was intimidating, but there was wisdom and power and awe. Like that word awesome that they talked about in Hot Hearts. It was like, you see a big pillar of fire outside your house every morning. You're like, oh, you know, like that's huge, right? But this word, he came and became flesh and he dwelt among us, that Jesus chose to look like you and I, to go through the same things, the same muck of this world, the same brokenness of this world that we uh, go through, and he dwelt among us. And John says, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, when, when we look at Jesus, when we met Jesus, when, when Jesus was here and we just knew him face to face, everything about him was full of grace and truth. Can, can I talk to maybe like 10% of us in the room real quick? Uh, most of us, we have an understanding of our God and our Jesus as being full of grace and truth and loving, but some of us, maybe about 10% of us, we've been hurt by the church. We've had people who claim to represent God misrepresent him or represent him poorly. And we develop somewhere along the way this image that Jesus isn't full of grace and truth. He's full of judgment and vindication. He's angry and he's mad at all these groups of people and he wouldn't vote for this. And like somewhere along the way, about 10% of us develop this image of Jesus that is very judgmental. And John is saying, that is not the Jesus I met face to face. That's not the Jesus I want you to know. The real Jesus. The one that we're talking about, he was full of grace and truth. Verse 15 goes back to John the Baptist. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. We'll explain that phrase next week. Verse 16, for from his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. You guys know that song, grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. To know Jesus, to know Jesus and to be fully known by him is to have every mistake you've ever made and every mistake you will be made just responded to with grace. As I love you. You're my daughter. I don't I don't care what you've done. Go and sin no more, he'll say, but I, I neither do I condemn you. That will be in the book of John in a moment. That, that he, he's not here to swing his hammer. And Christians who per, or, or they feel like their gift to, to the world is like, I'm coming to bring the judgment of God. Jesus didn't come to bring the judgment of God. Why does this church think that that's its place? But grace upon grace upon grace. This is for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, except he 
uh, has made him known. I added the word except, I apologize. He has made him known. that He he lands that plane about Jesus being the word as Jesus is revealing to us the true nature of who God is, the true nature of how all of creation should operate and should function. One of my favorite shows, and I don't know if it won an Oscar. It feels I feel like it didn't win any awards at all. So I don't know why it's my favorite, except I just resonate with it. It's the Truman Show. Has you ever seen the movie The Truman Show? It's got Jim Carrey in it. Uh, the, the basis of The Truman Show is this, is that uh, somehow or another, a director in like a movie company, they adopt a child. Who knows how legal that was, but you just got to get past that at the very opening stages of the movie. And so this movie company owns this child because what they want to do is create a reality television show based on this child's experiences. And everybody in the show is a paid actor except one person. Anybody want to guess? Truman, right? And so Truman is born and raised on a TV set uh, and grows and grows. And, you know, he becomes a, a child, shows him going to elementary school. His teacher is an actor. All the other students are actors. There's little cameras hidden everywhere in his life. He becomes an adult. And as he grows, he becomes more and more convinced that something isn't right around me. It's just like, like he just feels it in his soul. You can see him like he's looking in the, in the mirror and he's daydreaming like any of us, except whereas he thinks he's in the privacy of his home. He's got like cameras watching, highest ratings in America. The show gets, gets everything. And every now and then an, a, a, a character who was playing the part, pretending in the show, would break character and would say something like, Truman, it's all a lie. It's not what you think. And then immediately they'd be whisked away or a car would hit them or like they would, you know, they would die and their character would be written off the show. And every time it happened, Truman would just be shocked. He was just like, I can't believe it. And then, and then sometimes he would just fall back into character and just kind of go back through the motions. But as the movie progresses, spoiler alert, it's been out like 25 years, so I apologize. But as the movie progresses, uh, he decides, I'm convinced that this is not how things are supposed to be. I'm convinced that I've been being fed a lie and I need to know the truth. And he starts hunting for the truth. And then, you know, you can watch the rest of the movie. He goes and he finds it. But but for you and I, like that, that's great entertainment. I think, I think what resonates with me about that movie is that I know there have been moments in my life where everything that I've built my life on, like I, like it shook. And there's this moment of like, I don't know if I'm building this on the right stuff yet. Like, I, f- I feel like all of my life may be a lie up to this point. And then, and then like, I just kind of fall back in place. I get back into character and I go back through the motions. And then, and then somebody like says something it just at right, the, at just the right time, this, this phrase comes out of nowhere. Someone says something that they have no idea what I'm going through, but it intersects with this thing that I'm wrestling with. And all of a sudden my, my world shakes again. And we have to come to this place where we decide, is Jesus the foundation upon which I build the rest of my world? Or have I been building my life? on the wrong foundation. Even as Christians, we could get to the place where we built our life on the foundation of Jesus and, and there's this structure, but, but as family happens and we had kids and we start to build our life on different foundations, we start to build our life on this foundation like, I must be a good parent. I must, I must show everybody in this world that I'm a good parent. In fact, my kids represent me in this world, so their success becomes my success. That is a faulty foundation and we need to be careful to put Jesus back in his rightful place. I, I, I'm a parent with kids that, that you know, it, 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 sometimes it's hard to parent. You know what I'm saying? And, and there are times where I'm in, in the privacy of my home. I know, like, hey, we're going to have a talk, son. And then there are other times where, like, I'm in public and you're watching me. And I'm like, you know what? I've got to parent a little different because you're watching me, right? That's the wrong foundation, you know? The truth is, is that if Jesus is who John says that he is, that becomes the foundation, then I parent with grace and truth both in my home and in public. 
I, I, I am, I'm graceful and truthful with my wife in private and in public. I'm, I'm a better employee and I'm a better supervisor if my foundation is right. And if I ever find these moments where my foundation is shaking, I'm a fool if I go back into my coma. If I let the haze of life kind of lull me back into a sense of security. But if Jesus is the truth and he's the foundation, to know him is to know exactly what John said at the beginning or at the end of his book, at the beginning of our message, is that to know him and to receive him is the source of life. What I want for you, what I want for me, what I want for my family is real life, not a mirage of life, not a story that we pretend so that everybody around us thinks it's life, but I want, I want real life that permeates. John believes that he found that and other people can find that in the name of Jesus. If you uh, have, have built your life on any foundation other than Jesus, it's not too late. That's the purpose of this book. Let me ask this question, just a closing thought. What foundation have you built your life on today? What foundation have you built your life on? I've built my life on how smart I am. My education is just top-notch. In fact, I'm going to be so smart. I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. That's going to get rocked. That's going to get rocked. Something's going to sneak up on you you weren't ready for. I've built my foundation on being the most successful person I can be so that when everybody looks at me, I'm successful and I'm put together. I've, I've created securities. That's going to get rocked. It's one phone call away from getting rocked. I've built my foundation on how financially secure I am. That, that person hurt me and I lost my money in that way. And that's never happened again. So I'm going to build up my wealth and it's just going to be this fence, this gate that protects me from all the troubles of the world because that season I went through, I never want to go into. I'm sorry that you went through that season, but this foundation is going to get rocked just like that foundation got rocked. The only foundation that anybody's ever been able to build and, and for 2,000 years have been, has been secure is the name of Jesus, to receive him as Lord and to build your life upon him. We sang the song, by what other name will I run to for rescue? There, there, there isn't another one. And the sooner someone tells us that, the better off we are. So the question is, what foundation have you built your life on? We'll continue through the book of John uh, in the coming weeks, and we'll start to see, like, okay, is, does Jesus measure up to who John says that he is? I just want to leave you with the question of what foundation have you built your life on, and would you consider Jesus? Let me pray for us um, as we close. I pray that the, the, these words would, would continue to come to life, and um, then we'll watch the cue together. Father, uh, we, we come to you, uh, we thank you, Father, that you revealed yourself to us, that the ways of our God, the ways of our creator weren't left a mystery for us to guess and to ponder and to just continue to invent new sacrifices to in hopes to appease you, but Lord, you revealed yourself to us in the person and work of Jesus. Through him, we know your feelings towards us, we know, we know how far you're willing to go to show us your love. Through him, we know what's important to you and we know what breaks your heart because of what broke his heart. Lord, help us to see clearly who Jesus is and as a result, see who you are. May us today, may we be filled with life because we've received and, and confessed Jesus as Lord. We love you. We pray this in, in his name. Amen.